Hello and welcome to History Between the Lines. Today we're going to talk about the Japanese katana and its use during the Second World War. And for this episode, I'm joined by Kyle Monk, who has a passion for bladed weapons. Hello, Kyle. Hello, nice to be here. Good, good, good. So the Japanese samurai sword, also known as the katana, were used still by the Japanese military during the war, despite the creation of tanks, aeroplanes, artillery shells. Katanas were still on the scene. And um, Kyle, what what were some of their main sort of technical features, um, as it were, for these swords? Well, I mean, one of the things that you have to realise with these swords is that there were actually quite a few different variants with them. Um, one of the most common variants during the Second World War um, was the Shingatu. The Shingatu basically means new military sword. So, and these swords were, I think, used from around about 1935. Um, and uh, these, these specific ones were, were mass manufactured. Um, they were on average about 86, 86 centimetres long on average, I'd say. Uh, obviously made out of uh, steel. Um, the manufactured ones that were used in the second world were just machine hammered. They, 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 weren't made, they weren't made of anything special. They had a, a copper or bronze handle um, on them, should I say, should I say a, a, a tang. Um, <clears throat> and uh, obviously, you know, they were, they were made to a, almost like a, a Western feel. They, you know, they were made with um, steel um uh, sheaths on them whereas if you go back a little bit further um they you know they would have would have had cloth sheaths and and also the the pommel on the end were all, all made out of copper as well on these ones that were used uh during this time some of the, the smaller variants um the tanto as well you had that that was uh used and carried by the, the samurai so yeah in the build-up to the war all Japanese officers were required to carry a sword. And as you said, Kyle, as a result yeah. of that and the fact that all of them had to have one as part of their uniform and as part of their, you know, weaponry and regalia, yeah. all of them, um, well, not all of them, but many of them were mass-produced in order to make sure that every officer had one. Yeah, and, um, I mean, the more wealthy officers would have had their own swords and for a lot of the junior officers yes they were certainly would have been given these um, machine made blades and um and many drafted soldiers would have left home with their family's own swords because yeah yeah absolutely the katana like the family katana as it were was seen as the most treasured heirloom of yeah, a japanese absolutely um, yeah it was the soul of the warrior it was the soul of the warrior and um and they were seen as works of high traditional craftsmanship we've talked about how the mass produced ones could be valued far less but these ones yeah. were on another level yeah they would have been signed they, their their tangs would have been uh, signed by the makers um the blacksmiths um you know there's some really famous um blacksmiths out there um that produced swords hundreds of years hundreds of years before these swords would have been even used in world war 2 yeah so yeah absolute heirlooms absolute heirlooms and um as well as their kind of um value in terms of that way they also created a significant personal and national 
historical connection with other sword-wielding Japanese warriors, amongst which the samurai was one of the most famous. So Kyle, the samurai was um, a military nobility, an officer yeah. caste, effectively, yeah. in Japan, wasn't it, during the medieval? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And they, they were legends. And, um, and, yeah, their legacy is enormous, and I think it continues to this day effectively because many people beyond japan have heard of samurai as well so in terms of their legacy and what have you it's um enormous as well as the prestige that went with them so um so yeah i think um as you said kyle there's a symbolic value of these swords they were considered as yeah. a representation of the warrior's very soul yeah yeah it it, it would um it would uh, enable uh, the warrior to have uh, virtue, valor, and strength. Um, it, when, with regards to, you know, having these these weapons, obviously stories were told. These weapons were passed from from family member to family member, and stories would have been told about the the blade and, you know, who wielded the blade. One of the things about um, a Jap Japanese swords is is um, of course there are there are so many different types of Japanese swords. I mean, some of the earliest Japanese swords, um, you know, come from the the Bronze Age, and they're they're not your typical how you would look at a Japanese sword today. I mean, they 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 were two edged and and bronze, almost more almost more Western. Japanese swords really really have this whole evolution. Now, interestingly, the sword is actually seen by the Japanese as a weapon for self-defense, as it can only be used at close quarters. So, um, mm. so they argue that it's not an offensive attacking weapon like firearms would be. Um, this isn't accurate, obviously. Of course, swords can be used for attack as well, and they were during the Second World War. Um, yeah. especially used um obviously on on the darker side of of their use they were um the weapon for beheadings which were carried mm -hmm. out regularly yeah. by the japanese military either on prisoners of war or enemy civilians and one notorious example of this was during the um cascade really of atrocities that the japanese committed in Nanjing, the then Chinese capital, after they captured it in 1937. And um, beheadings through the use of um, katanas was used on a wide scale here, um, as it was throughout yep. the Second World War's duration. And in another way as well, these swords are also used for ritual suicide, um, yeah. when that uh became necessary. And I think in terms of when you look at the wider use of the katana in actual combat, I think um, when they were actually fighting, the sword was often the last resort. That was kind yeah, of that's when, yeah. when the bullets have run out or when you've lost your gun or if you're cornered and there's no hope of escape, that's when yeah. the katana was, was used in actual combat because obviously yeah. it's... Um, it's not much good against rifles and machine guns and tanks yeah. and bombs. So it's, um, yeah. I mean, that's exactly it, really. I mean, during the Second World War, uh, these swords, more as a tradition, I, I think maybe 
someone that was wearing their ancestral sword, I, I think may may have a sense more of um, invulnerability. Um, they, they could have felt like they were stepping into their ancestral, um, well, their ancestors' shoes, as it were. Um, so they may have may have given those soldiers, those people, um, a feeling of um, being invulnerable to, to, to the enemy yes. um, just by wearing it. Yeah, I think there's, um, in terms of the symbolism um, that was sort of... Um, put onto the katanas by mm. both the Japanese military and by Japanese culture in general during the Second World War was enormous. There were so many concepts, yeah. overlapping concepts yeah. that were, um, integrated into these swords. And one of them, as you've said, Kyle, is effectively um, spiritual protection um, from um, sort of your samurai ancestors. Yeah absolutely your ancestors watching over you protecting you um i mean i mean a samurai is an exclusive privilege it's an exclusive yeah. privilege yeah and um and i think one one of the other ways that um the sword embodied this kind of protection was um many shrines around japan mm. sell small silk purses um amulets called um Umamori, and they contain prayers for spiritual protection. Right. And, yeah, yeah. And this concept applied to the swords as well. And um, yeah. Although I think on on the flip side of this, there was also um, that the idea of kind of um, trying to ensure that your son came home safely, because if you gave him yeah. Um, yeah. the family heirloom effectively yeah um, the katana um um it was in the hope that by having this with him to look after this would encourage the yeah. son to survive the war so that he wouldn't lose the sword and bring it back and himself yeah safely. yeah i mean yeah absolutely they you know this sword it's been in the family for hundreds of years every person that's ever welded it has come back um, so by you taking it, you welding it, you'll come back too. Um, and I think I think the use of these swords during the Second World War is an example of how Japan's military government attempted to increase and integrate traditional samurai warrior spirit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can imagine you've got these these ordinary boys, I guess you could say. Uh, you know. Um, you know, and the idea of them being able to to get uh, a, a samurai, get their own samurai sword, be part of history, be part of that culture, I think was very important to them. Uh, amazing to to receive your own sword, even regardless of whether it was machine made. I think that this is also sort of indicative of the fact that the Japanese military during this period were trying to wed the old and the new together. Because on the yeah. one hand, they were saying um, technology is different. That means um, waging war is different. And yeah. by all means, let's embrace that. Let's build mm. zero aeroplanes. Let's, um, you know, update our battleships. Let's create a very formidable modern army. But at the same time, you know, yeah. don't you forget where japan's military comes from don't you forget the yeah. martial fervor of the samurai yeah. which you yeah. know is to 
obey unconditionally and fight to the death. And the sword is meant to remind you of that, and it's a symbol of it. Yeah, that that's right. I mean, I mean, the Japanese actually, they some of their swords. Like when we think of Shin Gatu, I mean, Shin essentially is 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 new. Um, so, and then you had the Gatu, you know, which would have been the military sword. And then you had the Shin Gatu, um, which come around, I think, in in the nineteen thirties. Um, and that was the new military sword. So they had, the, they, it did seem like they had this, um, this wantingness to, to keep tradition alive, um, but add to that tradition, just in small, subtle ways, in small, subtle ways. Like, for instance, the hilt binding on uh, the Japanese swords, for instance. When you get to the Shinigatu, the hilt binding you know, was no longer cloth hilt binding. It, it, it was copper. The majority of the, the obviously the mass manufactured ones were anyway, you know. You, you're looking at the, um, the, the sheaths that went on them. The, the, they, they, were, they, they were made into steel and they always had that, that almost, west. if you took it off and you, you put it next to um, a, a sword from, from say, say a, a pattern, um, 1827 cavalry sword or something like that anyway if you put it against them it would be difficult for someone that wasn't an expert to, to tell whether one was a japanese uh, sheaf and one was um a western sheaf so you know they, they they yes they were moving forward militarily but then also keeping some of their traditions moving from the lever to, to, to the metal so by the end of the second world war effectively all katanas were ordered to be handed in to the occupying allied yeah. forces and having talked about how much you know symbolic meaning was added to these yeah. swords i think especially for um swords that were family treasures it must have yeah. been like a bit of your soul was being ripped yeah. away from you the level of humiliation yeah shame, it must have been defeat. it must have been yeah, humiliating is 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 a word. Uh, you know, having to stand in a, in a, in a line, handing your your family heirloom over to you know essentially the enemy. Um, it must have been soul destroying. You're the one out of all those hundreds of years to lose the sword. Yes, and I think I think many. Many Japanese soldiers and officers handed them in in the expectation that they would soon get them back. But yeah, you're probably of course, right. Of course, yeah. they didn't. And when they realised that later, that's yeah. when the um, the the humiliation hit them. And um, and there's um, we, we, consequently because of them being taken away as either spoils of war or as a um, brilliant souvenir. So many of them yeah. have ended up in the United States and Britain and elsewhere. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I read, I read quite recently that you know um, it, it was approximately three million of them um, uh, ended up outside Japan. Yeah, um, and a lot of them were lost. A lot of them were lost. There could be some in someone's basement somewhere, a very famous. <laughs> sword in someone's basement somewhere in america it used to belong to someone's granddad where um hopefully it will be found 
um, at some point. Yeah, yeah. They, they are, I think, um, a big part of um, not just Second World War history, but um, the history of war in general, for sure. Yeah. Um, these types of yeah, partners. I, they became so rare that uh, uh, Japan actually... Um, I, I, I think they 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 come up with a um, a preservation order on these swords. I can't remember the date it was made, Jonathan. If I'm mm. quite honest with you, but they, they yeah they came up with a, a preservation of these swords, um, you know, to try and preserve them, bring them back into the country. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Kyle, for um, talking to me um, about the Japanese katana. I hope everyone yeah. enjoyed listening to this episode and um, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.